Welcome to Pencil Leadership. I'm Chris Anderson, success and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help you realize your full potential so you can leave a positive mark on the world. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others, share this episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and follow us there to leave a positive rating and review. And together we can leave a bigger positive mark on the world. All right, welcome back to another recording of Pencil Leadership. I am Chris, your host, and like always, we are super blessed with the guests that we get to have on the show, and and today is no different. This episode is no different, and you all are in for a treat. We have Todd Randall on the show with us today. He's an eight-time, let's let's repeat that, eight-time CEO and business coach. So he's built eight businesses, four which he's still managing, three he was able to successfully exit which is another thing we need to successfully exit. So that's huge going forward. He's generated millions, millions of dollars through that. And he continues to go when he could retire. Um, And he's built the life that he, you know, he really loves. He gets to play polo and and fly to different countries all while remotely controlling and managing his businesses. So we're super excited to have him on the show today. Todd, welcome to Pencil Leadership. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. And we're excited to learn from you. I know I, I am being early on in my entrepreneurial journey. And, and so we're, we're definitely excited to pick your brain and, and just learn from you really how to kind of have that harmony with business and life and why that's important to have business. But before we kind of dive into all that, would love for you just to share high level a little bit about yourself and, and what it yeah, is sure. you do. Yeah. I mean, what better person to learn from than someone who's failed in every possible conceivable way? Right? That's, that's what makes me special and unique, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm a, I'm an interesting case for an entrepreneur because I, I was not a person who had a great idea. You know, I didn't invent something. Um, a lot of my friends who became entrepreneurs, they were working for a big company that was kind of dismissing their product or just, you know, dismissing their division. And they stepped up and said, hey, I believe in this product or I believe in this division. I'll get some investors and, you know, spin it out. And I wasn't one of those people. I just didn't have a great idea. But I've always fancied business. I thought it was fun. I did whatever paper routes and, you know, network marketing and things when I was young to, to experiment with it. Um, and I just didn't have a good idea. So I went to business. And I was in the corporate world for nearly 20 years before I had the courage to, to start on my own. And eventually what I decided, and I hope that this is a revelation to some of your listeners, is that I didn't need a great idea. There are lots of ways to start business without a great idea because business is essentially just the, you know finding something of value and transacting with the folks who need it. Um, and so you can just be a middleman or you can take someone else's idea. Um, and those are perfectly you know, valid reasons to start a business. The world needs those people or, or there wouldn't be opportunities for that. Yeah. And, and I think that's huge. That's how you started just, you know, that you failed in uh, every conceivable way. I think that's <laughs> good to, again, just realize that we're going to mess up. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to have mistakes. We're going to get yeah. learn and grow from because it's this part. Of, and I've, I mean, I realize that so much just from everything I've learned just early with so little time I've been into it, but yeah, I mean, with that, you know, why you talk about, you know, the benefit and now you get to have, you know, do your polo and fly across the country and everything like that. But yeah. the like starting a business, why do you love it so much? Why did you really dive into it? And how can we do that ourselves? Yeah. You know, one of the reasons I talk about that lifestyle piece in pre-interviews or when mm-hmm. I get to know people like, like you and I did um, is just because it represents my dream. 
and you know, horses or polo is not everyone's dream. It's not yours. Um, um, or a lot of your listeners, that's not the point. In fact, some people would think polo would be a stupid, you know, <laughs> pursuit for me. I was just, let me tell the story. Cause I think it, yeah. it fuels the fire a little bit. I was born on a farm on a dairy farm in the middle of nowhere. And it's something my parents and my grandparents really loved. They were super proud of being a third or fourth generation dairy farm. And we had all kinds of livestock around in it. And then, uh, my parents both went to college and I, you know, craved sophistication. I wanted to live in big cities. I wanted to, you know, study, um, you know, uh, obtuse subjects <laughs> and I wanted to become a clinician. Oh my gosh, how more sophisticated could you become? And I just, I, you know, exited that lifestyle. And, and so I did that and I traveled the world and worked for big companies. And then eventually as happens with many people, you know, I just missed my roots. I missed what made me a country boy again. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was too distant from that. And I, I didn't, you know, my family kind of didn't understand me as well as they, as they used to. And so I wanted to get back to that. Um, but I didn't want to, you know, raise a garden mm. or milk cows. Uh, and a friend of mine, you know, rode horses for, for pleasure. And they introduced me to polo and it was, it was immediate for me. I'm like this, this is, it's athletic. It's cool. It's hard work it's a sport and I'm, I've always been an athlete. So for me, those things came together. Um, and I said, well, this is a really hard sport to learn and it requires land and it's, it can be very expensive depending on how you enter it. Right. Um, and so I decided, no, I'm going to make this my thing. This, this will be my goal. Everyone has a goal. Um, and it seemed big and hairy and audacious at the time, but you know, isn't that the greatest kind of goal there is? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's why I said it. I was, I was pretty deliberate about it. I said, um, you know, I'm going to design my life in such a way that I can do this. Um, and that means I'm going to have to make sacrifices. And if there's any one piece, I know when we get on calls like this, um, the reason that people subscribe is they hope for little tidbits, you know, pieces of wisdom that if I was 20 years younger, you know, I wish that I'd, that I'd had, and right. for me, the revelation to build a life around what I wanted took a really, really long time. And I just hope that young entrepreneurs don't have to take as long because they can be so much more focused on doing what they want to. Yeah, I think that's crucial. And, you know, that's kind of like what brought me down my path is, you know, I wanted oh, yeah. something different with mm-hmm. my life and, and for, you know, my future family and things like that. And mm-hmm. big dreams of, I love animals too and country I'm from Indiana. So country boy kind of at heart and yeah, uh, just, yeah, big goals with that. And so, but you know, when we get into this entrepreneur journey, starting businesses and stuff, it's not for the faint of heart, really. <laughs> There's a lot of things we've yeah. got to learn and, and, you know, no. navigate and, and traverse up, ups and downs and i think a lot of people don't realize just you know yeah building business is mechanical and a lot of it comes with our like goes back to our mindset and how we see things and approach things Mm -hmm. but there's just a lot to it so i I guess where where can we start with right all that yeah so um Here's, here's, um, let's use part of my journey as, as a lesson, right? Because I was, uh, uh, almost 40 years old and I was kind of a corp, a mid-level executive for a really big company. Right. And I, like I told you, I didn't have any bright ideas. Um, but I started looking around at other people that were business people and I saw, you know, my dry cleaner, Hmm. 
you know, this family who all was in it and they worked a, a million hours a day, but it was their business and they were really proud of it. You could tell they took care of the place and they remembered everyone by name, et cetera. I had a friend who owned a franchise, a guy I played volleyball with, um, and he was a bureaucrat at Intel and ran all over the world doing stuff with him. And he changed his lifestyle by opening a franchise. And I thought that was beneath me because a franchise was someone else's idea. It's not mine. Right. And when I did the research, I realized, you know, that may be a great way for someone to start a business because essentially you're licensing a brand from someone and then you get, you know, you get to put your stamp on it. You get to hire the folks, you get to offer a customer service, you get to decide if you have company ethics or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to decide if it's really successful and you get to decide if it's a, you know, if it's not. Um, and so that's the way that I started. Actually, I bought the rights to a franchise and built a spa. Cool. Um, and the lesson there for me, I think was that, um, I knew, I knew that I was ready to bail from my corporate gig. I knew I was ready to do my own thing. I'd had my own crucible and and the revelations that came from that. And I had already, you know, decided that sacrifice was an okay part of that journey. Um, and it only took me about 18 months of research to find a business that I thought would be really fun. Like I was a clinician. I'm, I'm a pharmacist by trade. Okay. And I'd worked in lots of hospitals and doctor's offices, et cetera. And I opened a kind of a massage therapy spa. And it felt like healthcare to me because people come in, you know, um, and they walk out um, a better person, like a whole, you know, there's a, there's a wellness element to it. And it's built like a doctor's office. You just, you know, have massage therapists um, instead of physicians or, or, um, physical therapists or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that model was similar enough to me that I could really get into it. Cool. Right. So, and I like that too, because, you know, a lot of times people think starting a business is, you know, bootstrapping something completely like their own idea, like you said, and it doesn't have yeah. to be that way. So I think that's a good thing to be that way. people to realize, like there's a lot of options out there. Yeah. And I have started my own ideas too. Mm. Um, and they've been less successful because it's a little harder road to hoe, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you come up with a cool idea and you start building something, other folks may have had that idea at the same time. Other folks may have that deal later, but they have some kind of leverage that you don't. Um, and um, it's a little more competitive environment. So I just started with one business that you know, was kind of a, I would say, a, a moderate risk, but a higher confidence. Mm, because I'd okay. seen it work before with other folks and sure. all kinds of businesses around the world need that. They need someone who's local who will set up a business with either their brand or their, you know, their transaction processing or, or what have you think about a newspaper route. Yeah. Right. True. Yeah. You're not inventing newspapers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it yeah. is a business and you have customer service and you have, you know, you requires capital. Sometimes you might need to buy a bike uh, for it, but any business is okay to start because all the tools you need will be learned mm. in, in process. Like I was a pharmacist, so I had these skills that were not relatable. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I went and got an MBA because I was afraid, not because any of the skills I learned there helped me run a business. Yeah. That was just a confidence builder. There, I was yeah. literally nothing I built there that helped me run my first business. However, once I got in it, I banged my head against the wall over and over and over again until I learned the lessons. And mm-hmm. I think that's was one of the big takeaways for me is that business running a business is a series of skills that I hadn't practiced before. Um, and it can be learned. Yeah. What were some um, of those biggest skills? Uh, management, people management. Yeah. 
like I had managed teams before in a corporate environment, but I'd managed them with help of HR. I'd managed them with help with some interview process. And I'd hire, I'd managed them with some kind of ethics, you know, uh, um, bookends mm. already designed for me. Mm. And to do all that from scratch is, is not only fun, but um, it's also scary as heck because you're <laughs> starting from, from scratch in that. So I think the people management is, is a big one. Um, capital management is one that um, doesn't get enough respect. I think starting a business does require capital. And the first place you get capital when you start a business is anywhere you can. Yeah. 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 This is something that investors do not talk about. I went to all my private equity, you know, muckety mucks and said, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm starting a business. How do I do it? Um, and they had all these great ideas about shared partnerships and banking relationships and, 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 uh, investors and all that jazz, but nobody's interested in a first time business owner, right? Nobody wants to give you, you know, first level and second level and mezzanine and, and all that jazz. The most likely place that people get money when they start the first business is their 401ks and their family members. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. And I recommend it. I think that if you're into it, you should get money from wherever you can. The more businesses you have and the more experience you have, the more options you have. Right. Um, yeah. Because I mean, you think most investors or, or things like that, they're wanting, you know, two years tax uh, yeah. information so they can show. So it's like, okay, it's almost like when people come out of college looking for a job. Oh, yeah. You need to have a, a year experience, but it's entry level. But how am I supposed to get that? So it's the same kind of, I feel like, yep. with business capital. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what. No matter what kind of loan someone gives, here's here's a lesson, here's a tip. Uh-huh. Right? No matter what kind of debt someone gives you, as as a startup investor, whether it's you know as a VC or what have you, it's almost always a real estate loan. Mm-hmm. No matter who you talk to, their first question is, "What real estate do you have?" Because they're just looking for any safety at all. Yeah. Business owners are very high risk, and so the person giving you the money just wants to know how they're going to protect themselves if things go belly up, and yeah. and they and they often do. Yeah, I think, and that's that, and that's something I'm looking at. Like when I started my business, I didn't have any capital. I didn't, I didn't really look, reach out. So it's almost like self-funded, and you know, mm-hmm. really, really bootstrapping. And so, like learning that lesson, I've been trying to leverage a little bit more now, and and trying to get into a real estate game as well. Right now, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I need to utilize other people's money, investors into this, and you know, of course, they get the percentage back or whatever. But mm-hmm. I even find even with that, it's hard to find investors. This is something that investors don't tell you early in the game, because if you talk to people to invest a lot, they'll ask you a lot of obscure obtuse questions, right? Like what's the internal rate of return? Do you have a hurdle rate? What's the exit strategy? And, and to a beginning to a new business owner, those are foreign concepts and nearly Mm -hmm. irrelevant. Yeah. Because you as a business owner, if you really want to start a business, the first business you start is the first business you can start. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like whatever business you can, and if that's a paper route, that's a paper route. Right. And if that's, you know, buying on Amazon and reselling on eBay, then that's, that's the business that you start. And I recommend it. I think yeah. people should just get moving um, and do anything at all. And then once you have a little bit of experience, then you'll notice people will come out of the woodwork and say, you did what? Yeah. You, you've traded, you know, baseball cards for the last two years and you made $13,000 in profit on that. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Right. They start to take you seriously because you did because you hustled. Yeah. But you still have to get out there. I mean, and connect with these people. How do you find these type of people like who possibly can invest? Like, how do you know who the right people are to connect with? Yeah, honestly, I don't recommend it. 
Okay. I, I, yeah. My, my recommendation for a small business owner is to be a hundred percent owner as long as you can. Now, gotcha. if you're in a software play, that's different because mm -hmm. there are companies whose full-time job it is, is to find software companies because the multiples, like when you find somebody who's built something, the multiple of moving up levels is crazy high. Yeah. But for most other businesses in the world where, you know, an, an average exit would be two, three, four, five times, you know, profits. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for those folks, I say start small, start with the money that you have mm -hmm. or start on contingencies. Like there's some businesses that you can borrow from your suppliers, et cetera. Okay. Um, that's one that people don't don't use maybe yeah. as often as they might. Like if you build um, snowboards mm -hmm. and resin is your most, you know, expensive material, you may want to go to them and say, hey, I have this great design for a new um, uh, snowboard. Do you want to see it? And get them fired up about it and then say, here's what, are the, what I need. I need $7,500 worth of resin over the first month and I'm going to get $12,000 in revenue in return for that. And so all I need is I need 45 days terms from you. Mm, okay. Interesting. No, that's something, yeah, I didn't even, wouldn't even thought about with a product like that to do. Yep. So you can be creative, but I really recommend, I think starting small and, and mm -hmm. being profitable soon is a much better strategy than getting a bunch of money and wondering if you're ever going to make it. Right. Yeah. Unless I, you're in software, software is a, a whole different beast. Gotcha. So, you know, if we're going about that and, you know, building it and, you know, everything comes with it, how, like for, for some people listening, how do we get that? Is there, is it even possible to have a harmony in life and business once you're starting out or is it just all yeah. business? Like <laughs> I have bad it, news for you, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is no early. Yeah. The, the answer is no early because it's such a high failure rate that mm -hmm. you have to be super committed, um, in terms of time and energy yep. just to get over, you know, the first critical thresholds. However, once you have a business started, Right. And once you have systems in place, et cetera, then I think even early on, um, it does behoove you to start building systems so you can distance yourself from that individual business mm -hmm. so you can start scaling in a meaningful way. This is this is my greatest accomplishment. It's my superpower, the power to delegate, because I had mm -hmm. the first business I had. Um, I did everything. I built it. I um, decorated it. I cleaned it. I sold the memberships. I managed the staff. I hired everybody. I did all the practicals. You know, I did payroll and everything. Um, and a year later, I was really proud that I'd started my first business. I really was. <clears throat> but I wasn't doing anything else except running it. Right. And I thought that all the decisions needed to be made by me because I was the owner, mm. which was a mistake. At the time, mm -hmm. it seemed relevant because I was using my judgment for so much of it. But um, I quickly learned that things weren't actually getting done because everyone was waiting me to make my, my damn mind up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so my staff started to put some pressure on me. And, uh, so what I did is I trusted one of them. Um, I'll never forget. This is one of my favorite, uh, work relationships ever. Carolina came to me and she said, you know, things aren't getting done around here because I have to offload so much of it to you. Um, I can do more. Can you, can you trust me? And let's work through a process. And so we worked for years. Like we, we failed miserably. It was a catastrophe us trying to work this out because we didn't have a system. Um, and we worked and practiced and worked and practiced and refined. And at the end of a couple of years later, we had a five-step process that we've used in all the other businesses we ran together. 
And there was a time where she was running all my businesses hmm. and she was using this process with her managers so that they could delegate properly. And what ended up happening is that first business, let's say I was making a hundred units of whatever. Mm-hmm. Imagine your currency, imagine your timeline, a hundred units. Um, and I was really proud of that. Once I started delegating things, the decisions were actually not quite as efficient, right? Because people making decisions weren't as experienced as I was uh, making those decisions. So let's say in the end that we sacrifice some profit and we're only making 80 units now per imaginary use of time, unit of time, right? Which is a 20% drop. However, with the extra time that I had, I went and I negotiated a second location. Hmm. Right. Okay. So now I've dub- almost doubled the revenue of our business and one and a half or 1.6 times our profit um, as a result of having the, the time to be able to scale. Yeah. Right. And so well. the question you, you have to ask yourself is, do you want to live in misery and be proud of the 100 percent that you have? Or do you want to learn the tools to step away? Give other people some room. Yeah. Right. Learn the skills that it takes to delegate properly um, and, you know, profit 1.6 or two. Mm-hmm. And have time to play volleyball on the beach with your friends. Yeah. And that's obviously, yeah, that's, I think what a lot of people hopefully are, are working toward. I know, yeah. you know I am, but how do we, I know you, you mentioned systems there a lot that, that those were important and then, you know, delegation. So, so systems, are there any particular systems that, you know, someone starting out should implement sooner rather than later? And then, and then we can talk about the, the delegation aspect. Yeah, not systems, but from the people perspective. Okay. Like when I first started, I was really sensitive to um, expenses. And I think all okay. business owners should be, mm-hmm. right? I did absolutely everything that I could in hopes of saving a buck somewhere. Um, and where it gets into trouble, I think sometimes, is if you skimp on staff. Okay. Not all staff, right? There are some positions that you are ultimately are like extremely replaceable to them. Mm-hmm. They're working for you this month. And if they get, you know, any, anything else that's more interesting, uh, flavor of the week, they'll, they'll bail. Mm-hmm. Don't invest in those people if they're not going to return it. But there are some people that will, you know, that will be noteworthy in the beginning and those folks invest in them. Like you need partners. If you're going to run a good business, people you trust, mm-hmm. people that will exercise judgment, people who respect your position and, and, you know, want to make decisions on your behalf. And in those folks, I probably was too cheap for too long. I could have invested more in my key staff early. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. But so when in the process are we able to delegate? Uh, I mean, you obviously starting out bootstrapping, you're not going to yeah. necessarily have the funds or can you work, do you work with people on, you know, let's do this together until we can pay you kind of thing. I, what, what's that look like from your perspective? Yeah, I'd say, um, you should, it depends on your tolerance for chaos. Um, and it depends on what your confidence of your timeline is. For me, I needed to run the business and know how everything worked before I was willing to delegate Yeah, because I could, I could teach. Like we always said, you know, don't delegate until you have the time to do it proper because mm-hmm. it ends up being just a, you know, one emergency after another <laughs> of, of poor judgment. And it's not necessarily poor judgment. It's just judgment that's different than yours. And so it takes you by surprise. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't it's not aligned with my principles or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, no, I think you should delegate only when three conditions exist. Okay. Uh, the the first condition is if someone in your in your organization can do it better than you. That's an easy one. If you recognize it, I think sometimes it takes a little courage to give something away. 
But I'll tell you, some of the girls that worked in my gyms were so much better at social media than I could ever be. <laughs> they enjoyed it. They were on it all the time. Yeah, they yeah. knew all the tricks and the reels and stuff. And um, once I realized that they were invested, there's no reason for me to be on social media. They're yeah. just better at it than I am. So I let it all go. And in the end, I became ignorant of social media. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I had other things to worry about. And I became good at the things I was good at. And if I happened, if those staff moved on for whatever reason, then I just invested in, in you know, other resources that were better at social media than I was. For sure. No, that's a good point. Yeah. The second criteria is if there's something that you really don't need to do. Mm. And this is a hard one for young entrepreneurs to recognize because you know, it seems like every, you know, it seems like everything is, is required by me. I don't know. Do you run into this yourself? Somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, some of my clients complain about this, that they can't possibly hand off payroll, mm. um, for instance. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's an important one. Um, let's make the whole list and maybe we keep payroll. Right. Yeah. But if your list is really this long and if you're really this overwhelmed, there's, you can hand off payroll. It can happen. Right. You can put mm. boundaries in place and you can put, you know, transparency uh, barriers in place and you can um, limit, you know, the risk. You know, they can happen from such a transaction, um, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be you. Right. And then the third criteria is if you have the time to transition thoroughly. I can't tell you the number of times. Oh, Carolina got so mad at me. I would um, I would send an email saying uh, starting on Tuesday, I'd like you to handle such and such from here on out. And she's like, yeah, handle it. How? Big shot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put purple ribbons on them and send them FedEx overnight. Is that, is that what you had in mind? <laughs> no, no, it's not what I had. Right. In mind. Well then let's handle it thoroughly. Okay. And, um, and so, yeah, if you meet those three criteria, I think you should delegate as soon as it meets one of those three. Okay. Or all of them. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, you know, I talk to and stuff, the profit margin, you know, trying to figure out the profit margin to be able to you know, facilitate all that delegation and things and get into a place to, to delegate. Um, and, yeah. but I think, yeah, having the processes too. So when you, like you said, kind of understanding it also, you can teach when you have someone come in, I think will help lessen that. And, you know, there's a lot of different areas you could probably look for outsourcing. Um, yeah. And that was just me. That was just my comfort level. To delegate is takes an act of, it's an act of courage to delegate. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. they're not going to do it the way you would have. That's very nature. We're all human beings. We're all distinctly different. Yeah. But if you build into your process some kind of tolerance for that, um, and if you allow it to meet the criteria before you delegate, then it can improve your comfort level with it, right? And for me, if if I just knew how everything, you know, how how I wanted to do everything, it was just easier easier for me to teach it and delegate it. Yeah. And your comfort level might be different. Like I said, your tolerance for chaos, if it's great, then hand things off and let them do it a different way than you and um, you know, focus on something else. For sure. Let I mean, so I have pencil leadership and then I have Elevate Media and Elevate Media is, you know, we we edit podcasts and do post uh recording content creation from each video and stuff. Yep. But uh being able to delegate those aspects like the audio uh, editing and the, and the video creation um, mm -hmm. was huge because they can do it so much better than I can. <laughs> like yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm decent at it, but mm -hmm. they just took it a whole nother level and it was to be able to, to rely on them. You know, there was a little bit of 
apprehension at the beginning, like, okay, are they, is it going to turn out, you know, to the level that I'm hoping to and, and things like that. And it surpassed it, thankfully. Um, but yeah. it was that kind of same thing, like just allowing it to let go. Yeah. This is a good time to look out for podcasts like yours or to have mm-hmm. mentors that are also entrepreneurs. It's important to network a little bit just so you're surrounded by people who can give you ideas. I, I'll never forget when I was 30 years old or so. And I was, I was working on this really big project and, and um, having a hard time making some decisions. And a friend of mine went to dinner and he said um, that he was working for Arthur Anderson at the time and billing, say, $125 an hour. And he, he felt like that was really expensive because he's 30 years old and $125 an hour is expensive to any 30-year-old, right? right. Um, and so he was working on a big project for a client and he spent 20 hours on it. And he thought, well, I could spend 10 more hours double checking my work, mm. but uh, I wouldn't want to pay you know, 1200 bucks for that. So I'm going to stop here. And he passed it up to the partner. Now, remember the partners, he's charging, he or she is charging $250 an hour for their time. Right. And they spent 30 minutes on it and realized that, um, you know, somebody should be spending 10 hours doing the work. And so they spent the whole weekend double checking the work and they billed the client $2,500 when they could have billed them 1250. Um, and he, they had a kind of a, a come to Jesus about it and he didn't understand. And she goes, well, what if I ran into something that required my boss who bills at a thousand dollars an hour, you know, to get involved Yeah. And, and they spent three or four hours on it. Then you've created a catastrophe by not investing in, in the short term. And the lesson for me was early on in the process, find the folks oh. who can invest the time. Lost you there for a second. Sorry. Cut out yep. your video did. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Um, so my lesson was early in the process, find people that can invest the time to do thorough work and audit and monitor it. You may find that that's the most efficient way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So some yeah. folks are using, you know, virtual assistants or interns or inexperienced people to do the first round of work. And then you can come in and spend two or three hours kind of auditing and monitoring and refining as opposed to the 30 hours that they would have put in in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point and a good lesson definitely to, to understand because, yeah, it's just a, you know, it's just a process and it's a, you know, you learn stuff daily on the journey. And and I think a key thing you said just a little bit ago is networking with other people because mm-hmm. like me getting talked to you with all your experience and expertise there, like being able to learn from you is, is going to help me. And then hopefully I can give back to somebody else who's just starting with things I've mm-hmm. learned in my own journey and from other people to help them. And so I think it's super important to, to just, yeah, to network and and to be able to put yourself out there and learn and ask questions. That's one reason I started pencil leadership back Mm -hmm. when I started my business was your tool. This is so valuable because I didn't have such a tool at the time that, you know, uh, whatever, 20 years ago, when I was first starting to have these conversations, you had to physically go someplace, Mm -hmm. sit around a room and hand out business cards. And the fact that people can now turn on a YouTube channel and get all the entrepreneurs that you have on your show is, um, is, you know, r- ridiculously valuable yeah. to them. Yeah. And, you know, I've been thankful enough to, to have over 150 so far interviews wow. and it's just so much knowledge, uh, mm-hmm. out there and there's so much more and just being able to connect with like-minded individuals and successful, yeah. successful individuals. And, um, I think it also gives us hope like with us who are starting early or just starting or early on, like, there's going to be ups and downs, but you can get through it and you can get to that point of success, whatever that looks like for you, whether it be being able to go play polo everywhere or, you mm-hmm. know, just, just have that time freedom 
uh, at home. And, and so it, it, that's another thing to remember, I think, as you're going on this journey, like starting a business, yeah, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it if you stick with it and, and continue to improve as you go. Yeah. I didn't realize how valuable it was going to be on both fronts. Like when I did it, it was because I was unhappy and I was overworking. Mm -hmm. um, and I was willing to sacrifice some of the profits that I was making to have a little bit of balance. I wanted to, you know, spend more time on the beach and, and get to the gym a little more often and spend time with my friends. And once I started delegating and removing myself from the business, my value to the business increased two or three or fourfold. Yeah. Right. To be able to start a new location, renegotiate a license with a franchisor or a landlord, um, to come up with a new business idea, to start consulting. Like those were all things that really took my business to the next level. And it was, it was the direct result of being able to delegate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge uh, being able to, to do that because like you said, you're in sports. I've been sports my whole life or, or most of it. And, you know, teamwork makes the dream work we hear. And so being able to, to create that and utilize other people's strengths that are, are stronger in different areas than we are is yep. going to help elevate your business um, to the next level. Yeah. The two, the two best sports analogies for business, in my opinion, are the teamwork analogy. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, so much more gets done when the team is working in concert. You know, Coach K is a great example of that. Yep. He puts a lot of young players on, on the field. Um, or on the court, sorry. And mm -hmm. they get a lot more work done because of his experience as a coach creating a team, right? And the other analogy that's perfect for business, I think, is long distance running. Yep. Because for me, remember, I was not a business runner. I was <laughs> not a business owner, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I needed, I just needed started to put miles on. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of people in their 40s or 50s who've never ran a marathon before. And they thought, hey, this would be a neat accomplishment. And they do it. And you know how they do it? They go out and they walk a mile. Yep. And then the next time they walk and jog it and next thing you know, they're jogging a whole mile and mm -hmm. then two and then five. And next thing you know, they're running 26 and it doesn't take forever. They weren't skills that they had before, but you can learn it. And to me, that's what business is. It's a series mm -hmm. of skills, fundamental business skills that you can either, you know, do one of a couple of ways. You can just beat your head against the wall until you learn the lessons or you can get help. You can yep. watch podcasts or get a mentor or, you know, read a book or what have you. Yeah. And I, yeah, I love those analogies because I, I use the running one all the time because I, I have ran a couple handful of marathons and it's, mm -hmm. it correlates so, so well, just, it? uh, yeah, in so many different ways. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I think it, it all goes back to, to learning the skills and, and asking for help when needed and, and kind of put your pride over to the side and, and reach out for, for that help. So you can, yeah. you can learn and, and you can improve, but, uh, this has been Todd. It's been great, great conversation. I've learned a lot already, and it just got wheels spinning uh, more and more. But which is fine. It's good because it helps me kind of get going forward even more. But you know, fifth trade of pencil leadership is that we're all created uniquely with a purpose to leave a positive mark on the world. And so, mm -hmm. when everything is said done for you, what do you hope your positive mark is? I think my hopefully. Um, someday. And I haven't, I haven't created much of this yet. Um, but my coaching, I have a, a coaching business that I hope to pass this on mm -hmm. is to allow people to live a life that's a little more in tune with what their real objectives are, because it took a crucible for me. I had a traumatic event in my life 10 years ago that put me in a situation. And I said, what if I had nothing to lose? Mm -hmm. Then what would I do? Yeah. Right. And the answer was, I would go to other countries and I would ride horses. And I thought, well, I didn't, I didn't expect that. That wasn't the thing I thought I would think of. That's what I want to do with my life. If I had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. And, um, if I can help 
people realize just by my story or by my coaching that um, they they can build a life that they want. They don't have to do the things their parents wanted them to do, or they don't have to have the job or the family that their friends want them to have. They can do some work and find out what the heck they want out of life and do that. Mm -hmm. um, I, then I feel like I've, I've made a positive mark on the world. Just even if a handful of people start to make decisions on their own about, you know, dreams that are authentically and sincerely theirs, then that feels like a positive impact for me. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, I commend you on that. And so I'm glad we got connected. It's, it's always good connecting with people with that kind of mission and goal in life. And, uh, so I appreciate you being on here and sharing where can people find you and connect with you best so they can learn from you and, and maybe get, get your coaching. Sure. Yeah. I've, um, uh, coaching group on Facebook, which is the best place probably to reach me. It's called Real Business Coaching. Um, it's just a Facebook group. So you can type Real Business Coaching into Facebook and find me. And I do have a website uh, for my uh, coaching and consulting practices. It's called beachview.biz. Beachview.biz, B-I-Z. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So make sure everyone get in, get in his group, get connected to him, check out his website, um, and just learn from Todd and his experience and all he brings. Um, so you can just elevate yourself and, and get to that next level. But uh, again, Todd, thank you so much for sharing and being on Pencil Leadership today. It's been a fun process. Thanks, Chris. Nice talking to you. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.